Today's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. We're looking at anger and contempt today. Let's pray as we begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your sermon on the mount. And as we spend time together in Matthew 5, we pray that we'd hear you preaching to us in your name. Amen. 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 So now there's a story that's told in Alpha of a couple and they've been married for many decades and they bicker constantly, just all the time. They're at each other's throats. And so when it comes to their uh, 40th wedding anniversary, their children say, I know exactly what we should get for mum and dad as a gift. We should give them some time with a counsellor. So off they go. This couple end up at the counsellor's office and yes, they continue to argue. They're still bickering in front of the counsellor. And finally, this very experienced old counsellor walks up to their wife and he says, uh, looking at the husband, listen, I can tell you exactly what your wife needs. And then he grabs the wife's face and kisses her passionately on the mouth. And he says again to the husband, this is what she needs three times a week. And so the husband says to the counselor, brilliant, shall I bring her in Monday, Wednesday and Friday? Now, I love the story, and we can easily make fun of people who are angry and contemptuous, but Jesus also shows that it's a serious issue that we need to uh, take to heart. Last year, knife crime in London is awful. Uh, it hit a 10-year high with over 15,500 recorded cases, resulting in 90 fatalities along with another 59 other murders in this capital. And a mapping graphic shows that they didn't just occur in one isolated area, but in fact, all around the city. And in fact, we know uh, a, a chap who was the brother of a sister of um, someone who's in one of my boys' classes, and uh, he got knifed um, literally just next to the school. And you would think that the city would stand in unison to say that murder is wrong. And you'd be correct. They'll agree with Jesus. He says in verse 21, you shall not murder. 
and anyone who does will be subject to judgment. So if that's the case, if the whole of London would stand in unity in unison and say they disagree and they condemn murder, then why are we having these stabbings uh, at a ten-year high in our city? Well, it would be difficult to argue that the stabbings that take place aren't motivated by anger and contempt. And if the fruit that we see is murder, then the root will be this contempt and anger that is um, inside, which birth a cycle of revenge. From this passage, we find out uh, that the outward fruit only is murder, um, but it's contempt and anger that lie at the root and therefore alert us to the fact that we need to change our hearts because even though we might not be displaying the fruit of murder, some of what's going on in the root that leads to it is stuff that we'll find in ourselves. So the commandment, you shall not uh, murder, covered the outward fruit, but Jesus goes further and deeper in his Sermon on the Mount. He isn't simply content with people just not murdering each other. We can fulfill the sixth commandment and still miss out on how Jesus is calling us to live a transformed life in the kingdom of God. So from looking at the fruit of murder, uh, let's go to look at the root. And then after that, we'll look finally at the heart. So the root. In verse 22, Jesus says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Wow. So obeying the sixth commandment might be fairly easy in comparison to the standard that Jesus is setting. He's completely up to the ante. And so we don't get overwhelmed. We're going to take this verse in its three separate parts, which start off with anger, anyone who is angry, and then we'll look at contempt, anyone who says rucker, and then finally the combo of the two, calling someone a fool. Now, the philosopher and theologian Dallas Willard points out that anger in itself isn't sinful. It's just a natural emotional response to someone obstructing our will. But he also says that it's never, ever that simple, since it causes, as Willard writes, us to interfere with and possibly harm the one who has thwarted our will. In fact, before we have done anything to hurt our adversary, we may have simply hurt them by them finding out that we are angry with them. And our anger, therefore, wounds the other, causing them to change course and raising the tension level of everyone else who's around and potentially also causing other people to react with anger. And that's where we get into our cycle. And at this stage, anger might take root for the long run. If we don't forgive our enemy, we end up nurturing 
our anger and growing it until we turn into an angry person with a store of pent-up anger that's ready just to explode as soon as someone pulls the trigger. Road rage isn't caused by bad drivers. It's caused by angry people, people with a store of pent-up anger. So when that innocent person just happens to cut across their path, then suddenly their foot hits the accelerator pedal and they fly off the handlebars. I had an angry teacher uh, who I remember one term started off by saying to us, I've had an awful holiday. I haven't had anyone to get upset with. The only release I've had for my anger has been to kick the cat. So just watch out, all of you. And then when Richard Lemkis uh, innocently yawned in the front row, he just flew off the handlebars. Lemkis, get out of my class! And the funny thing is, we found it hilarious. We thought that he was a bit of a joker. But in fact, there was a serious dimension to it. He had been harboring and building up anger in his heart. And in fact, we find that anger can be encouraged. It's encouraged sometimes on the sports field. It's encouraged in the workplace in order to gain an edge over the competition. And then when the ego is prodded, an explosion occurs. And it's entirely self-righteous. My rights have been infringed, we shout. Uh, One of our neighbours many years ago got so upset with the builders next door who started their work just before 8am on a Saturday that she walked up and down the street with a pan in her hand and a wooden spoon and smashed the wooden spoon on the pan and shouted, this is a peaceful protest, this is a peaceful protest. But it was nothing of the sort. So we find out that anger in its purest form is vital for human life. However, it quickly turns into something which is very dangerous when we're nurturing it allowing it to take root and refusing to forgive others. And anyone who is angry, therefore, will need to give an account of that anger uh, on the judgment day, which we are all destined for. So that's anger. And then Jesus continues, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Raka is an Aramaic term of contempt, a way of writing the other person off. And back in the day, uh, people were legally protected against verbal assault like this. And however, Jesus is indicating through this that there will be an eternal judgment uh, if someone is to write someone else off. Saying Raka might be translated as something like, you idiot. You know, he's just an idiot. And we write him off with a single sentence. Or we might do it in a different sort of more underhand way, uh, undermining their work or undermining their character. And I've done this so often, and I'm sure you aren't immune to it either. Actually, to be completely honest, I think that we live in an age and a culture 
of contempt. We swim in its waters. We breathe its air. It's all around us. And we see it in the leaders of our country, even, uh, from one politician this week uh, going on a counterattack against Ben and Jerry's ice cream and writing it off as overpriced junk food to a previous PM at a Hustings, uh, marking out one woman as that bigoted woman. We see it in our universities where lecturers are trolled on Twitter when their students disagree with their lectures. We see it in our workplaces, certainly, and we see it in our schools. I can remember how we used to use the L sign on our forehead for loser, and we used to even do that to our friends, let alone others who we disagreed with and disliked. It seems like we find this contempt in our very hearts and our beings. So we're constantly writing each other off. We say they don't look like us, or they don't talk like us, or they're overweight, or they're too skinny, or they spend too much time working on their appearance. We say they don't work very hard, or we say they're workaholics, or they drive a Toyota Prius. Can you believe it? Or they've got a different skin colour or ethnicity, or they're the opposite sex. We're so often tempted to pull each other down, and especially behind their backs. And we see it in marriages too, one spouse making jokes in public at the expense of the other, and putting the other one down. And it's all meant to be in jest, but actually under the surface, it undermines the marriage. And all of this is about destabilizing the other person in order to establish your own position. C.S. Lewis wrote about it in an essay called The Inner Ring. Uh, we have a desire, you see, to belong, to be an insider, we, and we're willing to do harm to other people in order to better our position. But the theory is flawed, brothers and sisters, the theory is flawed. Because actually, Jesus tells us that if we are those who destabilize others, then it is us who will be on shaky ground at the judgment day. Do we realize that we are writing people off who Jesus hasn't written off? Do we realize that we're writing people off who Jesus has died for? which is the most loving act in history. As his followers, those who are called to take up our cross and follow him, we have no right to show contempt for others. Jesus' kingdom, which he calls us into, doesn't and won't contain contempt. And it will include people who you and I have written off but they have chosen to accept Christ and his death on their behalf and his forgiveness. And therefore, they will be with us into eternity. So contempt for others writes them off. And in fact, it doesn't really care what happens to them, while anger desires to do people harm. Now, finally, we arrive at the third stage of escalation, 
where Jesus says, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. The fool in the Bible is the perverted rebel who is the very opposite of God's wisdom. To call someone in a fool in Jesus' day would therefore be an indication of malice, which combines this anger and contempt together. In our day, I've got to say, the language wouldn't be appropriate for me to use in this sermon. And it would be censored on BBC as something like beeping idiot or something much worse than that. That's what Jesus is talking about. And it's indeed a dangerous combo of contempt and anger, which puts us in danger of the fire of hell. So let's backtrack. How are you feeling when we get to this point? Uh, Maybe you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable with what Jesus has to say. Do you see anger and contempt in your lives? Uh, Or maybe even a combination of the two raising its deadly head in your life. You wouldn't be alone. And we might ask, therefore, what's the answer? What are we to do? Well, someone might say, we just need to avoid getting angry and using bad language and writing each other off. And that would be true, I believe. But I think Jesus is calling us to go further and deeper than that. You see, he doesn't simply want to create another commandment for us to obey, more rules to avoid the negative consequences, but rather he wants your heart to be changed so that we enjoy the positive results of a kingdom-shaped society. And this takes us, therefore, from the fruit of murder to the root, which is anger and contempt and the deadly combo, And finally, to our hearts. So the heart. In verse 23 and 24, Jesus speaks someone of, sorry, he speaks of someone who's in the middle of a religious ceremony when suddenly they remember that someone else is holding a grudge against them. And so they stop mid-ceremony and proactively attempt to be reconciled with this person. And our modern day equivalent of this would be maybe it's your wedding and you're standing at the front and suddenly you realize that this person is holding a grudge against you and you put everything on hold just to be reconciled to that person. That's how loving we are called to be. Or maybe it's your baptism and you say to the church, just wait, I want to be baptized but I first want to get right with this other person. That's what he's calling us to do. And so there's a serious cost involved in loving the other person who is made in God's image, who is angry with us or feels slighted by us. But doing that is more important. You see, God is looking for mercy from us rather than sacrifice. So how is your heart when you come to worship. God cares about your heart. Or in verse 25 and 26, we read of a legal case where someone wants to sue you. 
And Jesus doesn't require us to be doormats in this situation, but rather to desire to settle the matter quickly, showing compassion and understanding, showing love for the other person, rather than choosing to escalate it in an angry fashion and writing the other person off. They too have been made in God's image. Jesus died for them too. And if they receive Jesus' offer of forgiveness, then you'll spend eternity with that person who's trying to see you. And so therefore, he says, cultivate a loving heart for them. So we might ask, how do we do this humanly impossible task of growing in love for others who naturally incline us to anger, contempt, or the deadly combo of the two? Well, here's some steps. Firstly, I think we need to remember that they too are made in God's image, as we've said, and that Jesus died for them too, if they're willing to accept him. I find uh, the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer so useful on this in his understanding of the cross as the great leveller, where he says it's at the foot of the cross where we meet our enemy. And we realise that we need just as much mercy as they do. Secondly, pray for those who you feel anger or contempt for. It's very difficult to harbour anger or contempt for people who we regularly pray for. And you might need to ask God to help you to forgive them. And you might need to ask God to forgive you for harbouring anger and contempt against them. This week, someone said to me that they just couldn't forgive a certain person. And my reply was, just pray and ask God to help you to develop that forgiveness. You see, Jesus meets us where we are, not where we aren't able to get to. And thirdly, you may need to seek the other person out who has something against you and attempt to be reconciled with them. And it isn't always possible, but we need to do our bit to facilitate it. Sometimes we might need to start by saying, I'm so sorry that we've found ourselves in this position. Finding something, anything to apologise for is always a great tension diffuser. And then we need to be ready to listen to the other person and find out how we have hurt them. Then fourthly, let's be accountable about our anger and our contempt. Tell others who we love and trust, who are wise, that we are wanting to work on this area of our character and ask them to uh, hold us accountable. Um, that we, so we have to give an account weekly or monthly of how we're doing in this area. Ask them to stop us in our tracks where they see us belittling others and writing them off. And then finally, let me suggest that we replace this negative characteristic with the positive one of thanksgiving. I just love how the Apostle Paul was constantly giving thanks for those who were under his care to the extent that he didn't have time or space to say anything negative. 
Let's be building each other up, whether they're around us uh, or not. As Paul says to the Thessalonians, he, that's Jesus, died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. I love that. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the Sermon on the Mount, which we find so incredibly challenging. And Father, I pray that you would help us through Jesus' words to work through our anger and our contempt and this deadly combo of the two, which we find at the root of the problem and in our hearts as well. And we pray, Lord, that we would be those who treat each other in love and generosity, giving thanks for one another, praying for each other, and living lives which are in line with you and your kingdom, which you initiated here and you called us to live in forever through eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.